you're listening to the Bossy Bitch Podcast with Elsa Mitchell. Come along with me as I explore all the remote corners of Australia, uncovering success stories from women killing it in business. I'll inspire you, teach you, and best of all, make you laugh by sharing their journey and mine so that we can grow together in life and in business. Mom, have you seen my pants? Right, get out of here with the podcast. Welcome to episode 48 of the Bossy Bitch podcast. The reason I am excited to talk to today's guest is probably because I've been just quietly um, nudging her for a little while now to come on, but also Cindy Kempton pretty much sums up what this podcast is all about, and that is finding women in business in the hidden and remote corners of Australia that are flying under the radar but doing really cool and interesting shit. And that is absolutely 100% you, Cindy. (laughs) (laughs) I told you I'd embarrass you. Oh, yes. I I would never have really thought it like that, Elsa, but I'll I'll, uh, take your word for it. (laughs) I met Cindy in Broome a couple of years ago. We were both speaking at um, the Broome Forum And I was like, who is this woman? She is a force to be reckoned with, very impressive. But then as I got to kind of peel back the layers, what I realized was Cindy's just like that amazing entrepreneur that's like blows your mind, but it's just quietly behind the scenes, you know, um, not like entrepreneurs as we were talking about before we jumped on today that are just in your face absolutely everywhere online. (laughs) Yep. You're like a secret legend that I've been trying to pull out of the shadows for the last year or two. Well, I think there's lots out there, isn't there? There's lots of them out there. You just got to yeah, find absolutely. Them. And do you remember um, from that forum, and I've had her on my podcast as well, um, Alex, was it Alex Beaton or the lady that was in the one of the first women in mining? She was another oh, yeah. one. Oh, mm. Absolutely yeah, amazing. amazing. Yeah, yeah, I loved her stories and I just loved – how she forged her way through her career and got to where she was today because she could have given up quite easy, but she had quite a quirky personality, which I think probably really helped her get through. I've never forgotten her. I remember she sat next to me on the table and I thought, oh, look at this really sweet lady. And then she just got up and told the most badass story I'd ever heard. And what I loved about her was that when I kind of went to look her up, you know, I oh, let's go find her on Instagram or let's go find her on social media. I couldn't find her anywhere. And I loved that. Yeah. Yep. 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 She, yeah, yeah. I think her story, especially in the mining industry, being so male-dominated, especially the years that she started her career, is really inspiring to so many other women that have a really good skill set and are suited to the industry, but it's just been so male-dominated. So she had to, you know, fight her way through that and work out a way to to um, to accept that and, and continue on. Otherwise, you know, 90% of people would just drop out. Oh, absolutely. Yep, she mm-hmm. was so inspiring. I wish I could remember what episode she was in, but I have forgotten. But anyway, today we're here to talk about your story, Cindy. So what I'm going to let you do is just share with um, the listeners your story and probably that's going to lead into how you, <laughs> don't laugh, but how you became 
the queen of a fitness empire in Outback Australia. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't quite call it that, but anyway. Don't you love the theatrics? I'm just, I can't help it. It just comes out. Very (laughs) dramatic. can see you blushing on the other side I going, Darla back and not Chelsea. I'm, I'm waiting for the emotive music to come in. <laughs> you knew it was coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, well, I grew up on a dairy farm, so I probably couldn't have had an upbringing further from the fitness industry if I tried. So we uh, had quite a unique upbringing in the sense of um, my father had an extremely um, strong work ethic about him and he bought all of us. I've got an older brother and a younger sister. My my dad bought um, all of us up with that strong work ethic and because he was extremely old school, I think he really drove us into believing that um, if you want to get anywhere in life, you've got to outwork everybody. And if you want to get anywhere in life, you've got to, you know, you've, you've got to work hard and, um, you know, there's not a lot of downtime and be the person to set the pace in what you want to do. He was also very visionary. So a lot of the conversations that we had around our dinner table with my mother as well, she was extremely visionary too. We never talked small. It was always talking about the bigger picture of what was happening in the parliament, um, with politics, with the interest rates, what they were doing. And while mum and dad were probably talking amongst themselves, the three of us kids were all sitting around listening. So from a really, really early age, we, we, we had conversations or we were part of conversations associated with um, progression and, you know, getting ahead and working hard and achieving this and um and and the whole the whole philosophy of those conversations looking back on it was you know there's never any problems always solutions so um yeah so they you know we really experienced them going through the failure of the beef industry in the 1970s and then obviously the massive interest rates of you know 28% 18% in the 1980s and then um, they had the deregulation of the milk industry in the 90s and they had the vision to get out of the milk industry or the dairy industry before that happened. So it was always sitting around listening to these stories of, you know, that they could predict that these, you know, the ebb and flow of business was going to happen and um, what they were going to do and how they were going to keep moving forward but but not not only surviving but thriving in business to a sense. So so for us, my brother's in business in Derby, um, I'm in business doing what I do and my sister, funny enough, uh, she works for the ATO. <laughs> I wouldn't talk to her. <laughs> so that kind of makes us, we all have a bit of a giggle about that. Um, and she's, you know, terribly successful at what she does. So it was just a, a very natural progression for us being supported by two parents that spoke, you know, about the big picture constantly and, you know, what's your next project, what are you going to do, how we can support you in that. So from a family point of view, you know, we were very, very lucky to have to have parents like that that, that really mentored us and, and kept us motivated, you know, kept the fire burning within. Um, and, and I suppose it was just built into our DNA that if you wanted to get anywhere in life, 
it's really up to you. You know, no one's going to hand it to you on a silver platter. You've really got to get out there and give it a red hot crack. So I think another aspect of our upbringing was it was ingrained in us at a very early age that, you know, you rise early, you know, you get up early and um, start your day before anyone else and get as much done as you can and and then you come home at night time and to look after yourself, get good sleep, eat well, exercise, all that kind of thing. So I think that was really important to my folks to instil in us as well. So dairy farming, you know, up until uh, I left school and uh, at school I was all, you know, I, I had a good sporting background. I played a lot of tennis at a high level and uh, and, and loved all sport that I could. So when I left school, I continued playing sport. But what got me into the gym industry initially, because it was the, the late 80s when I left school and the gym industry hadn't really evolved. I mean, it existed, but it was kind of backyard, sort of old school setups. I had a really terrible car accident um, in the late 80s and I spent a fair bit of time in rehab and then to continue my rehab, I had to go and join a local gym, which was down in Albany in the Great Southern. And I started off building my strength back up in that gym. And I just, I just loved, I just loved the atmosphere of it and the vibe. And, you know, being brought up on a dairy farm and obviously went to boarding school as a, as a child, so I'd had a little bit of insight into the city life. But, um, you know, to, to go somewhere and to talk to people on a daily basis about all these positive things and, you know, the, the gym was a really great vibe to be amongst. So that's kind of where it all started. I studied, went on to study sports science and went on to do my Cert 3 and 4 in fitness. And then I spent a lot of time uh, overseas, so, it, you know, throughout Europe and the UK and worked in my industry over there. So I gained a really great insight into how these um, gyms were run and how the fitness industry was forming over overseas in the early 90s. So when I came back, I then continued on the journey. And by this time, Les Mills had come onto the scene and, you know, 24-hour clubs were well on their way. They hadn't hit Australia by then, but um, they were well on their way from Europe and the UK. Um, I spent 10 years working in Sydney and Melbourne. And then when I returned after filling my, my toolkit, I came back and I hadn't really spent a lot of time with with my family since being away overseas and spending, you know, that amount of time over east. So I thought I'm just going to come back and I'm just going to, you know, touch base with family for a couple of years and then decide what I was going to do. So I came home and worked on the farm a bit with dad and then I ended up managing a local gym in town and dad sort of said to me, you know, what Cindy, what are you going to do? You can't keep doing this. I said, well, I don't know. I'll probably go back to Europe or Asia or, you know, by this time the big chains like Fitness First were out and about and doing their thing. And then he said to me, well, why, why don't you buy your own gym? And I'd had a little bit of experience because I'd had my own uh, PT business yeah. for a long time in a lot of the gyms that I'd worked and that was just working solely, so PTing one-on-one -on -one, and you set yourself up as, as your own business and you rent the floor space off the gyms. So I started looking around for gyms for sale in Western Australia and there was there was three for sale because I, I knew I wanted to stay on the West Coast. There was one in Bustleton, Port Hedland and Caratha at the time um, and this is mid-2000, so this is about 2004. And 
I checked out the Bustledon one and it was just small. The average wage of that area was about 45000 And then I went and had a look at Port Hedland and Caratha and there was just a different vibe happening up there in the northwest. Like we're talking 2004, so obviously the mining industry, you know, ebbs and flows like all businesses do, but, you know, there was action every day. It was like a 24-hour industry there was people everywhere average wage at that time was about 150,000 so I kind of figured from a economical point of view you know people are going to be able to afford a gym membership mm. a lot more up north than down south so I went and checked out the gym in in Port Hedland and um, it was the guy uh, that was ended up being reasonably successful in real estate in Port Hedland and then he went completely broke which, you know, you always talk about having your laugh, laugh. So I sort of felt that was my first one in being <laughs> in business because he made it very clear to me that being a single female was no place for that type of person in the Northwest. And he really questioned me on my ability, A, to run a gym and B, my ability to run a business simply because I was female. And I was really quite taken back because there was no point in my upbringing that because I was female, I couldn't achieve mm. or I couldn't go ahead and do that. So um, that was the first time I'd ever come across that and he made it very clear that I really needed to know what I was doing to, you know, put myself in that situation in a town like Port Hedland. I was single. And you sure showed him though, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I had never been to Port Hedland before. I'd never been to Caratha before. So, you know, I suppose to give him a little bit of credit, I probably really didn't know what I was getting myself <laughs> But um, so I moved on from Port Hedland. I thought, well, he's actually not going to sell me his gym. So um, <laughs> so then I, I went and checked out Caratha and it was just, wonderful just such a wonderful wonderful town wonderful people and the gym that I ended up buying um just you know that they were just such good people at there at the time so I literally went up there um had a look at the gym I I ran it for the owners because they'd moved to Perth for three months just to make sure that it was um what you know what they said it was financially yeah 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 uh went home packed everything up and said you know I had a little white laser at the time and a little cocker spaniel stuffed everything I owned into this little car and um literally zoomed out of the farm gates and headed up the great northern highway and um my mum and dad did go on to say to me we just we just couldn't believe it like we just Mum said I was actually really worried for you. <laughs> and, and Dad said, Dad said I had no doubt that you'd make the best of what he thought was a really bad situation. <laughs> but, um, he, you know, they just they they just couldn't believe that I would, you know, just kind of do that, just get up and leave and move up there. So because it really is quite – so where was your parents' dairy farm? Oh, that was down south at Torbay, so halfway between Denmark and Albany. Yeah, which is absolutely freaking stunning. Um, but so different, right? Because yeah. like, people don't mm. fully realise, like, it's quite outback. Like, <laughs> like yeah. Caratha and Broome and um, Kananara, you know, it, it really – and that's back then. Do you know what I mean? Like – it is quite 
It's very different. <laughs> yeah, it was very different. Like, you know, Caratha in those days, there was no traffic lights. The airport was still gravel. Um, they had one coffee shop, one shopping centre, you know, um, one, re- you know, two restaurants maybe. And it was just, you know, there was just nothing, there was just nothing there. Mm. There's yeah. really nothing except all these wonderful people that um, wanted something else to do other than drinking at the pub and fishing. So for us to come along and, you know, set up the gym and, and provide that kind of service for that community, um, I think was was the right time, you know, we're in the right place at the right time. And on, there's something I, I've been saying a lot lately, Cindy, which <laughs> is it's the people that are willing to do what no one else is willing to do. That's where it works, right? So you were like, right, I'm going to Caratha. I see an opportunity. You know, most people are like, oh, it's too hard, it's too far, oh, it's, you know, it's this, it's that, it's remote. I'm a huge believer that it's the people that, you know, take a chance and do what no one else wants. Your competitors aren't willing to and that's exactly what you did right off the bat. Yeah, I think so. You know, maybe at the end of our business life, you know, I'll, I'll look back and reflect and, and you know, I, I agree with, you know, perhaps agree with you. But I, I will say, you know, when we were looking at buying, you know, getting into Port Hedland once we built Life and Soul in Caratha, um, my accountant said to me, he said, you know, why, why, and we had Broom and Derby at this stage but Port Hedland was the last piece of the puzzle and he said, you know, why, Cindy, why do you need Port Hedland? And, um or, you know, in the sense of, you know, what motivates you to get into Port Hedland? I said, well, my compet- the competitors get me out of bed every morning and they still do because I know that, you know, one day we will have direct competition and we've got to be ready for them. And he oh, said wow. to me, and he said to me, um, I am telling you now, there is nobody, there is nobody down in the cities packing their bags <laughs> Hedland to build a gym. <laughs> and I said to him, well, Stuart, no, maybe not today, but I'm sure it's on their radar. So I want to be ready for when they do come. I'm so like, this is why I love talking to you. Like everything, even just I could listen to you for days because your upbringing, your family, everything, you, I get tingles down my whole body because it's so the way I was raised. It's everything that I resonate with. I love it, love it, love yeah. it. And I literally have a client up in Caratha who a few months ago I was chatting to her and I said, oh, look, who's your competition? wasn't a lot. And I said, well, but what happens when you do get competition? Because you will. One day you will. Like, and then what? You're going to be so pissed off that you wasted so much time not doing these little things that would have given you a huge advantage um, against when a new person Mm -hmm. pops up. Mm, good Sorry, I yep. really love that you just said that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, that's um, really good of us. And, and it's so true. Like I, I really feel, you know, in our business life that we've been blessed that we have had, li- you know, we've definitely got competition up there. I mean, for God's sake, the, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the market's just- full now for everyone listening. <laughs> <laughs> no commercial property available. There's no room. <laughs> um, you know, the, Karatha, the Karatha show, I went and built a $70 million um, Leisureplex up there, which pretty much shut down half of our business. Oh, yes, I have heard about that, yes. Yeah, yeah, at one stage. But 
Look, it's the same with anything. Look, I, I just actually did a um, video on our staff page. We've got a little bit of competition coming into Broome and I said to them, you know, competition is really healthy because it keeps us on our toes, keeps our eyes wide open and it helps us to become really creative because as soon as a sniff of competition come in, suddenly our staff just come up with all these amazing ideas of what we can do. And I'm just kind of like, oh, my God, where were all these ideas when we had time to actually put them into play, you know? So um, so we will, you know, really embrace competition and think it's a, a good, healthy thing. And not too much. for everybody, I love to say. Yeah. There's enough for everybody. And, you know, there, it is, I, I, again, another thing that I love to say is it's in fashion to own a business and that's why good is never good enough because, mm-hmm. you know, you, you have to go the extra mile. Mm, that's right. You've just got to keep rolling, got to keep rolling forward. So anyway, we eventually did get into Port Hedland and uh, that guy that said that, you know, I was too young, too single and not experienced enough in my job or in business, he actually, he actually went out of business, went broke. So I was quite happy when I read that yeah I did a bit of a ha 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 yeah 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 yeah. that happens quite interesting when I saw him the next time but anyway we got into Port Hedland so you know around this time um and we were living in Broome by this stage I'd met my husband Pete who came into the business with me and he has a corporate background uh, and um, at a national level. So he kind of came and, and no fitness experience at all. I don't even think he's exercised once in his life. So I love he, the peak stories. This is so funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he, he, he comes in and comes into my life and comes into the to the industry and the business with a completely different focus on life. You know, he's a punter and he loves a beer and he's one of the boys. So I, I really think... When we were the face of the business in the early days, I really believe he helped us immensely because people felt safe with him, people felt okay with him. So the guys would come in and see someone like Pete on reception and kind of go, he's a really normal bloke. Mm. He's not talking to me about buffing my biceps. and Yeah, because, you know, you walk into a gym and you're like, oh, my God, I feel like I need to go to Lululemon and get a makeover. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I hate that. Yeah, we're certainly not about that. So he, um, you know, he'd be on reception with a cup of tea in his thongs, you know, always wearing the right (laughs) Make sure he had his little name tag on. And... um, and he really embraced the business side of it. So, you know, I'll always be grateful to him for giving up his career for coming into because he he left downtown CBD in Sydney to come and live with me in Karatha. Um, and he he really helped, you know, move the business along. So we we set up Port Hedland. We were living in Broome by this stage. And then the Karatha Shire built this Karatha Leisureplex and a really big part of our business in Karatha at the time was our group fitness program. So we had up to around about 40 classes on our timetable. And it really was probably 60, 65% of our income for our business um, in Karatha alone. So when the Karatha Leisureplex built their um, 
their $70 million complex, they absolutely kazumped us with the group fitness. So they built this amazing group fitness studio. They put on like bucket loads of classes and ultimately, you know, I think that accretion, everything, didn't they? Oh, massive. Um, Croatia, I think there was swimming cafe. Pool, cafe, basketball court. You know, we just could not compete. So it was a case of what are we going to do? Um, because I could see in six months' time our group fitness business was going to be shut. We, we would close. And potentially that would have shut Caratha. And it literally was overnight when a really good friend of ours, he ended up being our insurance broker, he sent me a link to watch this video of this fitness workout. And it was a live link of an F45 session going on in Sydney. And I said to Pete, I said, I said, Google that. What is that? So he Googled it and up came the red, white and blue and it was this small group training going on. The vibe was massive. You could feel it through the screen. Great music, two coaches on the floor. I said to him, That's, that is going to replace our group fitness program. So we looked into it a bit more. We flew to Sydney literally within a month um, to check it out. It was the F45 franchise that had just launched in Australia. And uh, we had the great opportunity to spend time with the original founders of F45. Oh, amazing. Yeah, so um, that was um, Adam Gilchrist who, you know, which I'm sure lots of people have heard about him in the paper <laughs> in the last 12 months, um, um, Deutsch and, uh, and Armstrong. And, you know, we spent a lot of time with them when we were in Sydney for a couple of weeks and they were obviously selling their vision and selling, you know, because they hadn't actually launched out into the open world at this stage. So we ended up purchasing three franchises for F45, Broom, Caratha and Port Hedland. We had six months to open all of them. So we decided to launch it in Caratha to, to start with. Um, at this stage of the game, economically back in 2015, you know, we were really struggling to sell a $20 membership, but F45 was priced at $59 a week. And the Australian fitness industry hadn't seen this before. The Australian consumers hadn't seen this type of fitness workout before because they were so used to doing less meals training, aerobic training. So we came back to Caratha and I just had this gut feel that it was going to work. Um, a lot of people said to us, there is no way that anybody will buy a $59 a week fitness product in this market. They, they just won't. tells you you're crazy, but you do it anyway. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so we did, we, um, so we literally, unfortunately, our group fitness product uh, closed and that was really emotional because, you know, us fitness people are really emotional people and, you know, we had to say goodbye to a lot of our group fitness instructors who had been so loyal to us over the years um, and, you know, they continued on on their work with the Leisureplex, obviously, but we bought in um, F45. So we replaced, you know, just talking financially, we replaced those group fitness members that were paying only 20 $22 a week, we replaced them with an F45 member paying $59 a week. So oh, yeah. from a financial point of view, it really helped us get out of um, get out of the red and, you know, 
back into the black and that's where we kind of started our journey with F45. So we ended up putting F45 along our um, next door to our Life and Soul gyms in Broome, Caratha and Port Hedland. Amazing. And F45 just was like cult status. Like everybody just went nuts for it like I remember having owning my hair salon and my clients would be like oh my god f45 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 like it was like a, an addiction like it was yes. so popular yes and well, still we just is had, yes well we just hadn't seen anything like it before it was uh it was a like a group fitness timetable on steroids it was just you know, explosive and dynamic and the ones in Sydney and Melbourne had these super cool influences being attached to their studios. Um, oh, my partner goes to one in Perth and there's a guy there who's just a member, okay, just a member. He's got the F45 thing tattooed on his chest. Oh, no way. Oh, God, has he? <laughs> but I'm deadly serious. It's like the little, um, what's the kettlebell thingy? With... <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's amazing. He met his oh, wife there, I think. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. But that's a cult, isn't it? It's yeah. A cult. Like it was social. Like, yeah, there's so, there's so many things. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's how the F40 climate um, came about. So he went on to purchase F45s in Darwin and then we've got a few F45s down here in Perth. But that that's kind of how we built built the fitness places that we have. It all it all really started from Caratha and and I'm and I'm always grateful, always grateful for Caratha, the people in it, you know, the support they've given us over the years. We've we've still got some people in Caratha that have been with us since day one. Yeah, I and love that. I know. You just, you know, how do you thank people like that? How I know. You, it's beautiful. Gratitude. But that is a full yeah. credit to you, Cindy. Do you know what I mean? Like, and, and what I love, you know, there's so much around, I don't know if it's just my industry, and I did touch on this before we got on the call, but it does my freaking head mm-hmm. in, is this whole passive income and I made a screen dollars and I just worked for four hours. You know, like, it's hard work and those relationships that you've had since day one, like that doesn't just happen. That takes hard work, commitment, that takes giving a shit, like which is something else I'm so big about, like such a testament mm. to you and Pete that you still all these years on have those people from day one. Like that is, that's massive. That's like the hugest success in itself, just that, you know, and that doesn't just happen. So that's that's a massive credit to you, and I know um, how important and what your values are within your business because we've spoken about this, and I resonate with them wholly. But you know, let's touch on that for a second, like your values within your business, um, because that's what's gotten you where you are. That's why you still have years and years later these amazing loyal people in your life. So I know that you know your core values inside out for your business. So do you want to share them for me? Yeah, well, like our core values, um, I think I've always had them, even when I was little. You know, I just look back on my own family's core values and, um, you know, it's always been revolved around, you know, work ethic, resilience, um, gratitude, you know, never forget your manners, you know, all, all that kind of thing. And, and I still bring, you know, all those values are entwined into our business's core values even today. Um, 
and, and I keep and I keep coming back and revisiting them. So they were always in my head, and we'd always built our businesses on those core values without actually knowing it. I think it wasn't a conscious thing in the early days of, oh, you know, is this going to suit our core values? Because it was just so ingrained into my DNA. And luckily, I met someone in Peter that had had the same values. We just kind of, you know, the, the decisions that we made, we made through those values, but not without actually consciously. Just organically flowed. Referring to them. It was just the, the people we were. Um, yeah. And don't get me wrong, we haven't. You know, we've made some complete F-ups along the way and, you know, as everybody does, not everything has gone to plan. But even when we've had complete F-ups, we still go back to the table and go, what went wrong? Like, mm. did I not, was I not, was I not this, was I not that? You know, it's, mm. we just really make a pact that it's not anyone else's fault. It's It comes back to us because we are the drivers. So it was probably back in about 2017 and we employed a great fellow, Tom Co- um, Tom Coburn, and he became our general manager. And after dealing with him for a year or so, he said, you know, we've really got to get these core values down on paper. We, we've got to share them with the staff. We have to share them with the senior management team. And so we got all of our senior managers together. There's probably about 11 of them at that stage. And we spoke about these core values, what really met, what really resonated with them, like what, what, what really drew from their soul to come and work f- with us on this journey? You know, why, why did you choose us? And what is it that keeps you getting out of bed every morning? And because we don't have a lot to do with these people on a day-to-day basis as in face-to-face because yeah. at that stage, you know, our businesses were 4,000 kilometres apart. So we had to put a lot of trust and we still do. We have to have put a lot of trust and a lot of faith and a lot of loyalty into our staff because we, we you know, we're, we're here and they're kind of 2,000 kilometres away and we're trying to instil the same core values into what we do every day to what they do every day. And it was really interesting to come up, like all of our core values overlapped, as in talking about their own personal core values. So we, we, we came upon this set of core values and we created an acronym called Got Soul. And each of those letters, G-O-T-S-O-U-L, all stand for a particular core value. So gratitude, community, diversity, et cetera, et cetera. So they took those core values back to their teams and there was, um, how many was there? There was probably eight, eight businesses at that stage. They took them back to their teams at ground level. So we had everybody involved from the cleaners to the creche people to our coaches, managers, receptionist um, sitting at the table and and then we started talking about their core values and why did you want to come and work in Life and Soul or F45 Northwest? And then we found that a lot of these core values overlapped again. So we brought it all back to the to the bigger picture and we decided that, you know, 95% of our people, that one of their core values is gratitude and, 
you know, 95% of our people, they felt community was a really big part of what we do. So we develop these core values from all of our ground level people all, all the way through the business. And we came up with our set of core values that we've got today. So those set of core values, they hang in every club, every studio in both of our head offices. And any decision that we make, we always make sure that it we refer back to those core values and does it fit in with what we stand for. And I think about this so much with you, Cindy, like when I'm talking to clients and trying to, you know, say, try and get through how important the values are, always think about you and your story and your core values and the way you use them in your business. You're like the poster child (laughs) for why it matters. Well, I think it's just made making decisions really easy. Yeah. And and it's the team side of it because when your team – when your team knows what you stand for inside out, they respect that and they know how to show up and best serve you. I think they really, really get on board with it and that's when you build a team that treats that your business as if it were their own. I really believe that. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, I think so. Um, we've had a couple of opportunities over the years where we probably could have made a lot of money. Um, One was going into Alice Springs and another one was taking on a contract with one of the mining companies in in Caratha it was. And I'll just talk about the one in Caratha initially. And they wanted us to provide them two personal trainers to go to their camp where the miners for FIFOs, where they go and live, and be at the camp from 4.30pm through to 9 o'clock at night, Monday to Friday. And um, this was a, you know, at this stage, it's probably a 90% male camp. And it was, I went and had a look at the location and the the reception area was at the front of the camp and it was like an 800-man camp. And then the gym was right at the back of the camp. So their um, pro forma to us was we want them to be female, we want them to be strong-looking females, you know, there was certain conditions attached to it. So I thought to myself, well, look, I'll go and do a couple of the shifts myself and see what it's like. So I turn up there at reception and I go to do the first shift and a a guy takes me down, escorts me down to the gym and the people that if we'd staffed it, we would have had to have walked past I don't know, it just seemed like hundreds of, you know, doors or, you know, dongers. Yeah. Um, and all the guys were sitting outside and smoking and cooking their dinner and doing whatever else. And then when I finished my shift at 9 o'clock that night, I had to walk back from the gym back through all those dongers to get to reception and into my car. And like I said, it was a really lucrative financially financial deal. But I just said I, we can't, I couldn't take it. Because if anything had happened to any of those females, like our gym people, our personal trainers, I would never forgive myself. So I just ended up saying, thank you, it's a wonderful deal, but we can't take it. Yeah. So that just really resonated with my core values of, you know, respect for other members of your your team and and that sort of thing. So that, you know, once you have your core values up in lights, up on the wall where everybody to see, it kind of makes your decision-making a lot easier. Yeah, I love that. And I love, I love like community is one of my core values. I think that's something that comes with being a, a country girl community. But I just believe you, you can't go wrong because it's your community that 
you know, when things are good, it's because your community supports you. When things are bad, it's be- your community that comes to save you. Like I love, yeah. love, love that that's one of your values as well. And um, another question I had for you today, and honestly, I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> um, it really lights me up. Everything that you say and the way you do your business, I just love it. It resonates so much with all the things that I stand for myself. And I think of my family sitting on the farm on the tractor listening to this podcast nodding away like yes they would be just loving this episode and um, but one of the things I also love to talk about I wanted to ask you your opinion on was what do you see for regional and rural businesses like what are some of the struggles you see them face like that come with being regional or rural in really kind of outback and remote towns and mining places well, the isolation of the location, for for one thing, um, the res, you know resources that are attached to that. Although the resources are getting much better these days, I suppose you can look at it from two ways: one being a, a, a female business owner, and then being a you know a business owner as as a whole. But I think probably the biggest challenges that we've had over the years would definitely be the uh, locations in the sense of our, you know, talking financially, to, um, the overheads yes. and freight in particular. Oh, yeah, I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> it just, it's just crazy. Sometimes when we order equipment for F40, for our 45 Studios, and it's got to come from, you know, over east, sometimes the freight costs more than the actual product itself. And I can see why businesses hold back on updating their products or updating their facilities because it just places such a huge financial pressure on them because they're like, well, okay, I need to build X, Y, Z or, you know, replace this piece of machinery. But then when the freight comes in at $5,000, you just, you've got to sit back and question whether do we really need it or do we really, really need it? So um, freight's massive. I, this is something else that I've been really wanting to kind of delve into a whole other topic because, you know, like I've got clients, I've got a client up in Northern Territory who um, sells fresh cold pressed juice and she's like, mm. oh, my God, Elsa, the freight's just gone up another 20%. Like it's crippling, you know, and she's yeah. like, what if um, yep. the truck gets a flat tyre and then the juice is a day or two late? Like that completely stuffs things up for her because it's fresh and and, you know, look, we just need to look at the flood situation up there and how often I've been in Kununurra and they're like, you can't get a bloody lettuce in Coles and um, mm. it, it's it's mind-blowing that in the times we live in where we're all so innovative and, you know, all about diversity and, you know, that it still can be just so, so primitive when it comes to things like like the freight issue for regional rural Australia. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, yeah. So I'm glad you touched on that one because it's huge. Like even the yeah. florist in Broome, I remember talking to her and she's like, if I've got a wedding and mm. the flowers aren't in the refrigerated truck, like sometimes they show up, they're brown, they're dead, they've put the wrong ones on, like, you know, mm. that's a small local mm. business that's these Yeah, and they, can't go, and, they can't go and correct it. They can't go and correct it in one day. Yeah. No, it's huge, absolutely yeah, yeah. huge. And my parents living on our farm, that we're not even – 
anywhere near as remote, but we crack up laughing. We have, and my mom's going to kill me for saying this. <laughs> but me and my siblings, even the grandkids have started, we have this thing where we check the use by date on all the food. <laughs> oh, yes. Nana's fridge in her cupboard and we're like, we will sit there pegging it all in the bin and my mum's like, what are you doing? That's still good. <laughs> and we're like... Mum, that expired four years ago. It's time to go. Country women, they are something else. They live in a different space. They really do. Yeah. I could go for days. I remember finding, oh, God, my sibling's going to die laughing over this. This is not that long ago. And I'm so sorry, Mum. I'm so sorry I say this with love. But (laughs) her pantry's immaculate and, like, the herbs are in, like, alphabetical order, you know, like it's it's immaculate. But there is a brand-new jar of oregano and next to it is this one. I've pulled it out and I've read the back and it expired the year I was born, which was 1982. And I've said to my dad, this fucking oregano is, like, 30, well, now I'm 40, but at the time I was about 35, 35 years old. And Dad goes, it's oregano. That's never going to go off. <laughs> and I said, it's brown and it looks like dirt. I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be green. <laughs> I just kept it that long. Maybe it's sentimental. It's so it's so funny. I'm really sorry, Mum. She'll be, she'll be furious when she listens to this. Oh, tell you, Mum, I totally understand. I've got, <laughs> like, I've got enough food to feed a wolf. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, you um, know, it is the freight. It is, again, the rain. We, we spoke about this before we actually started the podcast, the resources. And, you know, like this is why I love travelling up to those towns to do what I do because people are so receptive and they love that you've taken the time and the effort and they really mm-hmm. jump on board with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, th- I think what really fascinates me is, you know, some of the businesses that people do in the Northwest are just incredible and um, and to have the inspiration to think of them but then to have the resilience to keep them going and to keep them successful over so many years with the lack of resources that we've had just, you know, is really inspiring. I think even you said to me at another time we were talking about how hard it was to get someone to come over like from one of the companies or brands that you in the fitness industry, you like to get somebody to come over here to Karatha or Port Hedland was like impossible, you know, like they'll happily fly to Perth or Darwin or visit gyms over there, but to come to one of your gyms in one of those locations was like mission impossible. Well, exactly, and we pay the same price yes. as our city people and we just don't, you know, we just don't get the value for money because, when the suppliers come, they just want to go, obviously, where the population is, which which makes sense. I get that. But um, I think now, I think now um, suppliers and so forth, they're getting better at it. They're starting to realise that, oh, you know, these regional areas really do contribute to the local economy and, you know, contribute to the state, you know, the, the national economy. So, you know, there must be something in them. So it's good to see you know, we're starting to get better resources up there, but it's still got a long way to go, that's for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm. Thank you so much, Cindy. Honestly, I could just keep going and going and going, but, um, you know, you'll just have to come back for another episode. <laughs> oh, 
Thank you for having me on. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing your story. It's just, it really is amazing. And tell me, so how many gyms do you guys have now? Uh, we have t- we have 10. Yes. Yes. But I mean, that could change overnight. It could be another 10 tomorrow with... Um... <laughs> yes. Well, you never know. You know, there's just so many great opportunities out there and um, it's just choosing the best ones, I guess. And I love that, again, we touched on this before we jumped on the call and I'm just going to summarise it for everybody listening, but I love that you, you haven't stopped. You're still growing. You're still evolving. You're still changing with the industry, um, still innovative, still going with those, you know, opportunities where they are. Um, I literally said to you before I pressed start on this, like, oh, well, so you're clearly not slowing down anytime soon. And you were like, absolutely not. Um, I love how you empower your staff. I love that you have, obviously, you have rely on managers and teams because you mm-hmm. can't be in all those places at once. You're all literally as mm-hmm. sprawled out as people can be. And it's a huge testament to you and Pete that, that you have the staff that so efficiently and respectfully to you both operate those businesses. And I just think you have so, so, so much to offer and to other people in businesses, not just in the fitness industry, but any business. And because I think there's not enough, again, I said this earlier before we jumped on the call, but some of it's old school stuff that I think sometimes gets a bit too forgotten about people looking for the easy path people looking for the quick win and you know get rich quick programs aren't new but I love that you know it is about hard work it is about genuinely giving a shit about the people that work for you and show up for you and building that sense of community and doing what other people aren't willing to do and I could keep going for days and days but um yeah thank you so much (laughs) Yeah, thanks, thanks, Elsa. And and look, at it has been it's it's been the staff, it's been the the team that has formed around us, and you know some of them have been with us since since day one. And again, you know, how do you thank them? How do you show them gratitude? <laughs> you know, yeah, they they are the ones that put wheels on the on the engine and and help you moving forward. They are the wheels of the engine, really. Well, I see how much you give to your team, so I think you give them a pretty good pretty good nudge at showing your appreciation (laughs) yeah oh well yes all right thank you cindy i'm going to post um links in my show notes to um some of cindy's gyms and i know lots of people will be listening regionally so um there'll be about 50 links in my show notes for this one but worth a look at (laughs) thank you thank Thank you you. elsa i really appreciate it and um yeah go regional business that's yep Couldn't agree with you more. Thank you for listening to the Bossy Bitch Podcast. I am Elsa Mitchell and you can find me at elsamitchell.com.au or if you'd like to meet my friends, please head on over to Facebook and I invite you to join our free group, Bossy Bitch. Bossy Bitch.